Hey, February 9th, 2009 was a day that changed all of us. You may have not realized this, of this is such a significant marker in your life, but here's what happened on this day. It's a day that has impacted you more than any other day in the last 14 years of your life. It was the day that Facebook added the like button. We laugh, but it has completely reoriented our society's psychological understanding of itself. It's the truth of what has happened over the last 14 years. Did you ever get poked on Facebook? Like, you know what I'm talking about? It's like that little whistle. Like, what a horrible name. Like, couldn't they have come up with a better name and a better concept? Like, tag, you're it or something, I don't know. But now there's this social proof and this performance dynamic that entered into a society, into our society in a way that it had never done before. Before friends would just comment on your post and now we actually write posts so that people will comment. You know what I'm talking about? Like we've all been there. It added performance to life itself. Something like this had never happened at this scale in all of human history. The problem with this is this has bled into how you and, you and I actually practice our faith. You cannot live in a performance-driven society and then just pop into church and thinking it's not going to affect how I look at God, how, what my faith, it, it affects you. It skews your lens of what is actually true. It touches the deep motivational structures of your heart and it changes the reference points of where we seek validation and attention. You see, when it gets into the church, the psychological shifting does horrific damage to the practices of faith. You and I love to be connected to greatness. We crave it. We crave to be connected to ministries of influence. In fact, I was looking back over the course of my life and when I was 30 years old, I truly got addicted to church planting, addicted. I began to read blog after blog after blog after blog, and, and if I shared the names of some of these church planters that I was reading their blogs 17 years ago, many of you in the room would know their name because they've been wildly successful in ministry. You see, we think that our deficiencies can be healed by attaching ourselves to this extra giftedness. That's not actually how it works. We go on these church tours thinking there's one teacher, there's one church, and it's going to fulfill this one void in me, and the reality is this, is we're just paralyzed by options of who to look to, of who to follow. This has been going on for dec decades and, and, and really centuries, and I, I can't fully speak into that because I'm not 600 years old this morning. Maybe I'll live to be that old, I don't know. Have you ever given serious thought as to what has shaped your theology of family, of friendships, of relationships? See, I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and I was fascinated with what was right in front of me and this 13-inch TV was right in front of me. I had 13 dials of freedom. There were no remotes. You had to get up off your couch and out of your bed and walk over there and click to the next channel. That's how it worked back then. Now we're just all lazy. We're like, where's my remote? Who's, where, who took my remote? My kids have my remote half the time. But I began to watch these shows and I began to think about this as this is what shaped my theology of 
family, of friends, of relationships, I began to watch these shows of Sanford and Son. You guys remember that show? Three of y'all in the room. I began to watch the Jeffersons. I began to watch the Brady Bunch, the Andy Griffith Show. I'm dating myself this morning. I watched the Cosby Show. We don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> but I did. Shaped me. I, I watched this little furry character named Alf. Anybody remember Alf? Yeah, four of y'all, that's cool. I watched The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Home Improvement, Frasier. These defined my theology and framework of family, of friendships, of relationships. I even began to watch these other shows about friends that became so close that they actually became family. I watched a show called Seinfeld. Yeah, come on now. I watched a show called Friends. What a unique name. I used to come home every day after school and turn on my little 13-inch TV and watch Saved by the Bell. Yeah, you know, you've been there. I watched this little show about these furry characters on HBO that I just loved called Fraggle Rock. Anybody watched Fraggle Rock before? I watched the Smurfs. You see, in a world where relationships often come and go, the concept of family holds a, holds a special place in our hearts. See, the reality of family is this, it goes beyond our blood ties. It accompanies the bonds we create with the people who genuinely care for us, support us, and walk alongside us in life's journeys. You see, there's a family in this church that embodies this incredibly well. It's Carl and Molly Myers. They took me in at my darkest hour. They took me in in my greatest brokenness. They used to have this little uh, sticker on their wall that said, Framley. Friends who become so close that they become family. I'm so thankful for them. You see, the Bible offers us profound insights on what it means to become family. In Romans, it tells us that we're to love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. You see, one of the essential aspects of family is this, is the love and the accept acceptance that we extend one another. By doing so, we create this atmosphere of acceptance where individuals feel valued and cherished, fostering a deep sense of belonging. And here's what I know about you and I is we desperately need and long to belong. We crave it. We desperately need it. We are faced with enormous amount of options every single day of our lives, everywhere we look. In fact, we're paralyzed by those options. I looked up how many religious organizations there are in the Tulsa metro area. I think you're gonna be shocked when I tell you this this morning. There's over 1,800 options of religious organizations in the Tulsa metro area. You know why we're so confused? 1,800 options. What, where do I go to grow my faith, to deepen my journey? Schools to choose from. It's paralyzing. Where do I get education for myself? Where do I get education for my kids? I, I wanna give them the best. We're paralyzed by it. Careers to choose from. Where do I work? What do I give my life to? What's my unique contribution, my purpose? All of us have asked this question or you're currently asking this question right now. Do I get married? Do I stay single? 
Do I have kids or no kids? What foods do I eat? What music do I listen to? What sports do we play? What sports do I allow my kids to play? The list goes on and on and on. And as we navigate the paralysis of of options in our world, it's vital to remember that God's plan for family extends beyond just blood relations. See, in Matthew 12, we find these beautiful words of Jesus, and he says this, who is my mother? Who is my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and he said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And Jesus teaches you and I that true family is not solely based on biological ties, but on a commitment to God's will. By aligning our lives with his purpose, we are inviting this larger spiritual family to be united by faith and love as we go on this journey. This morning, I wanna give you a picture of this church that we find in the city of Ephesus in the Bible. It's a city located in Asia Minor, known for its magnificent temple to the goddess of Artemis. And as Christianity took root in Ephesus, conflicts began to emerge with the clash between the prevailing pagan beliefs and this growing Christian movement that was on the rise. The Ephesian society relied on the Artemis cult for spiritual guidance and economic sustainability. And you can see the clash with the Christianity movement that was growing during that day. As they're taking away from our economic development. They're taking away from our cult, even though they weren't calling it back then. The inclusive nature of Christianity, which transcended societal boundaries. It transcended and established this social order. Slaves, women, foreigners found a sense of equality and acceptance within the Christian community. They're like, I'm welcome here. Something's different about this place. And it challenged the hierarchy of the Ephesian society. The hostility towards Christians in Ephesus manifested in many ways. There was public ridicule. There was verbal abuse, even physical violence. But here's what began to happen as the believers began to lean into the teachings of a Jesus through this apostle named Paul, as the church in Ephesus flourished. I love that. There was spiritual nourishment and guidance, spiritual growth, and people began to grow and develop in their faith, and it began to multiply. There were rather regular gatherings for worship and prayer and fellowship, and it fostered this strong sense of community. And it provided spiritual nourishment for those that were seeking a closer relationship with God. We all need that. There was this moral and ethical transformation. Ephesus was known for its idolatry and its cult practices and immoral behavior. But the church's emphasis on love, righteousness, and purity inspired believers to live victorious lives, and it stand against the prevailing cultural norms. How many of you know we need that today, amen? See, the positive influence radiated out of the church beyond the church's walls. That's what we were doing with Love Tulsa Sunday. That's what this church has been about from the very beginning. Is It's not about this sanctuary. As gorgeous and as beautiful as it is, it's about what happens outside of here 
as we take the love of Jesus to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, to our streets. You see, the church in Ephesus became a beacon of light in a society that was marred by spiritual darkness. Doesn't that sound like the American culture today? Marred by spiritual darkness. You see, I believe the church can become a beacon of light. Its impact extended beyond the immediate borders, transforming individuals, families, and the broader community. Here's what I love about the church in Ephesus. It was the only church in town. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah, it was the only church in town. It wasn't if they worked through their differences. <clears throat> it was how they worked through their differences. They, they didn't have an option. If they were gonna be a part of the church, they were going to work through it. You see, too many church options, here's what it's done. It's created shallow Christians who no longer work through their differences. They never develop deep roots in their faith and they never give themselves fully to others. Why? Because it's easier just to move on down the road. There's 1,800 options. I'll go find a church. See, we live with this one foot in, one foot out mentality in a world that is paralyzed by options. Jesus gives us this beautiful picture of what you and I need most, and it's this, it's relationships. See, most of us have this idea of what relationships look like for you and I, but more than likely, they're what we call convenient relationships. We have like interest. We enjoy doing X together, and so we circle up to do that, and we enjoy it. But that's all the depth of the relationships. That's the only further that it actually goes. But here's what Jesus invites us into. In fact, he models this with his disciples. He says, hey, I, I want you to come follow me. And he invited the disciples into this covenant relationship. What does covenant mean? I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm not gonna walk away from you no matter what you believe, no matter what you say, no matter how you offend me, I'm going to stand with you and we're gonna work through this even in the midst of the awkwardness of the uncomfortability of the relationship and I'm gonna stand with you, why? Because our goal is to look more like Jesus. Our goal is to fight for each other's faith that we become a better disciple. You know what our goal should be every day? is I wanna be a better disciple today than I was yesterday. I wanna be a better disciple tomorrow than I was today. How do I do that? Through covenant community, through covenant relationships. That's why we've been talking about microchurches for years now, is what does this look like for you? Who are the relationships that you're circled up with. That's how you're going to get healthy and whole, is not figuring it out on your own, not through your convenient community, through your covenant community. Covenant community says this, anyone is welcome at the table. No matter what you believe, no matter what you think, anybody is welcome at the table. Come and eat with me. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be Jesus to you. You know why we don't do that? 
is we love our conveniences. <laughs> we love our certainty. We love our comfort. It's really quiet in here. <laughs> but God is calling you and I to a life of uncertainty. He's calling you and I to a life of discomfort. Why? So that we become and look more like Jesus. Today, tomorrow. He calls us to keep going and make disciples. Some of you <clears throat> have been in groups for years. <laughs> I, I'm gonna step on some toes this morning, I know it. It's okay. Some of you have had a group for years and years and years, this, this community group. And you don't really welcome anybody else in. And I, and I don't know that you actually have a disciple-making group anymore. I think you have a club or a clique. Because covenant community says anybody is welcome to the table. There's no outsiders. It's not just us and them, okay? But there's another level of relationship that Jesus modeled for you and I. Don't, don't throw spears at me yet, all right? is there's this inter-circle covenant, this person-to-person -person relationship that Jesus modeled for you and I. Not only did he have the disciples, but he began to circle up with a few of them. Remember how he went away with Peter, James, and John? There was kind of this inner-circle thing that began to happen, and it was person-to-person, -person, even though they fell asleep when he was teaching them to pray. We're not talking about that this morning. These are the relationships that don't necessarily need to change. I've had the same inner circle covenant relationships for over 15 years. I don't have 10 of them, I have a few. It's, it's a handful that I have. These are the people that I'm completely open and honest with, transparent with. There's nothing hidden with these people. We need that inner circle covenant relationship. I believe that's why you and I are here on this planet is for those two things, covenant community, biblical relationships, inner circle relationships. Why? Because our goal is to become a better disciple tomorrow than I was today. <clears throat> we desperately need a church and a world that's saturated with options, and we desperately need each other in a world that's saturated with options. We need one another. What does it look like for you to give yourself fully to covenant community? It's quite, it's quite simple, actually. It's just you saying, yes, I, I'll, I'll do this. I, I will lean in. I will enter into this type of relationship. I will enter into this type of lifestyle. I will stand with you in, in regards to all of our disagreements, no matter what, no matter what the culture brings our way, no matter what you might say to me or do to me, I'm going to stand with you. Covenant community says this, I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you no matter what. You can offend me, but I'm still gonna stand with you. You can have different politics than I do, and I'm still gonna lean in and love you. We can have nothing in common, yet come to the table in covenant community and grow together to look more like Jesus. But we struggle to decide why, because we fear that we're gonna miss out on something better. <laughs> That's why we struggle to make a decision. The Bible speaks often and frequently about this concept of guarding our hearts. 
And we have to guard ourselves from the culture coming in and shaping our faith. You see, religion practiced wrongly is all about self-seeking status. When converted properly, it's about secure servanthood. Jesus modeled this for you and I. In Matthew, we see people that everything that they do, they're wanting to do it for people to see. It's living a performative life. They've taken something that is designed to connect them to God and taken all of it and redirected it to place the attention on themselves. What is your posture? What, What does that look like? Everything they do is for somebody else to see. You see, it's hard to live your life today without social proof that you've actually lived your life. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you're like, man, I, I just, I can't even live if I don't have social proof of actually how I've lived. You see, others don't need to share this moment with me. Others need to know that I'm having moments like this. That's everything for us. Instagram-worthy moments. So many people are trying to earn what's already theirs by blessing. Jesus looked at the Pharisees. They were struggling with it. So he's like, you like the Torah? Cool. I'm actually the Torah. (laughs) You like the Logos? I'm the Logos. Like, I'm right here. All the truth you're looking for is found in me. You see, the void is going to be filled by going directly to the source, spending time in the word of God, spending time with him. That's the only way this void is ever filled is going directly to the source. You're all my brothers. You're all my sisters. You're all a true community. You already belong. You already belong. You're covenant people. In my community, Jesus says, there's neither Jew nor gentle, no slave nor free. You're all one in Christ. You are the family of God. He says, the greatest among you will be a servant. In the kingdom, greatness is defined by servanthood. If we humble ourselves, you will be exalted in God's timing. You don't need to do that on your own. You don't need to do that with a social post. You see, our ability to critique, listen to this. Our ability to critique is way stronger than our ability to go to the source and embody the alternative. We don't go by the grace of God, let me go to the secret place and build the alternative. Our critiquing mechanisms are stronger than our formation mechanisms. No amens on that one. That's why there's so little change. Our critiquing mechanisms are stronger than our formation mechanisms. Bob Sorge wrote this beautiful book called The Secret of the Secret Place. He said, what if I told you there was a place that anytime you were discouraged, you could find hope? Anytime you wanted the presence of God, you could get it. Would you be interested? interested?" Jesus said, The Father is the secret place. Three Sundays ago, I was standing right here during worship, and I just looked out across the room, and I began to weep, because the reality hit me that so many of us 
come to church to get in the presence of God. But here's the reality of what's available to you. The presence of God is available to you when you go home today. It's available to you when you're driving down the road in your car. It's available to you at your workplace. But you and I have to create time in order to get and place ourselves in the secret place. What does that look like for you and I? To stop. Say, God, I, I welcome you here. I welcome you into this place. God, what do you have for me today? God, is there something I need to trust you for? You see, we've got to go to where the Father is. We need to build rhythms and practices to the secret place. The reality is this, as we get our sense of worth from the opinion of the person that we value the most. Often, it's not Jesus. Often, it's not our Heavenly Father. You see, whoever we set up as the hierarchy of authority in our life, we will always be looking to them for a sense of validation in our life. If it's not God, it'll be complete chaos in your life. And complete chaos. See, the secret place is about this heart reorientation back into the love and heart of the Father. What do you think is the first thing that God thinks about you when he thinks about you? You know what the reality is for most of us in the room? The first thing that you think about when God thinks about you is disappointment. Disappointment. It's the first thing that you think about. I did that. I've got to earn his love back. What if we begin to switch that and we begin to think the first thing that God thinks about me when he thinks about me is delight. That's my son. That's my daughter. No matter what you've done, no matter where you go, he sees you walking down the road. He's like, finally, yes, there you are. There you are. He opens his arms up and he welcomes you in no matter how many times you've walked away, no matter what you've done. It's the story of the prodigal son. I'm so glad you're back. I'm so glad you're back. His spirit runs down the road to you and I. It's in the secret place that we understand this. It's in the secret place that this happens. The way that you and I change isn't willing ourselves to change. The way that you and I change isn't guilting ourselves to change. The way we change is this inner change that happens by getting in the secret place and then it flows out of us. Colossians says this, he says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those sound like really good options today. Let's choose those options. 
Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, we are called to live in peace and always be thankful. When you know that he wants you, that he loves you, that he's changed you, here's what happens. You are free to give yourself away, free. You will hold nothing back. This is what we see in Jesus. He was secure, his security and his father enabled him to live this life of servanthood. He gave himself away freely. His whole life was oriented around that. He knew that the father had placed everything under his feet and that he was returning to the father. There was nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to worry about. Therefore, I am free to serve. Here's what reality I know about you and I is we will only serve in the spirit to the degree that you and I are secure in the Father's love. We will only serve in the spirit of love to the degree that we are secure in the Father's love. Our primary task is this. To live a life abiding to live a life abiding in his love. Here's the reality of this. If you do not get in the presence of Jesus, the culture will win. If you don't learn to abide in the secret place, the culture will win. It's what was happening in the church of Ephesus. The culture was winning. But these group of people begin to hear this message from Paul and they begin to rise up and say, no, we're gonna get in the secret place. The culture is not going to win. We're gonna get in covenant community. We're gonna enter into these relationships. We wanna be the kind of people that God can use and are freed from the need of human approval. Everyone today said amen to that. It's all right. Our response is this. God, I receive your love. God, I receive your love this morning. You need to receive more of the Father's love. There's nothing that you can do to make the Father love you anymore. There's nothing that you can do to make the Father love you any less. Here's what I wanna do this morning. I, I just want you to find a place, like right, right where you are, you don't, you don't have to move, but find a place of just receiving whatever you're comfortable with. And, and I want you just to receive his love for you this morning. Just put yourself in that posture this morning of receiving. Father, we welcome you. God, you're already in this room. And God, we just receive you this morning. God, we receive your love. God, pour your love on us this morning. God, let your sons and daughters, God, experience a revelation of your love this morning. Let this be a day that they look back on for the rest of their life. And God, that is the day that your love overwhelmed my life. And I was never the same.
God, set people free this morning from this performance-minded lifestyle. God, set us free to give our lives away for others. God, we receive your love. God, move in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. I I want us just to say that out loud this morning. Let's say it together. Father, I receive your love. Come on, say it again. Father, I receive your love. Father, I receive your love. Come on, a couple more times. Father, I receive your love. Father, I receive your love. God, teach us to abide in you. Teach us to look to you. God, let us make you the hierarchy of our life where all we look to is you and you alone. God, set us free to give our lives away for others. God, remove any fear, any worry, any anxiety. God, that you would just remove it this morning. God, wash over us in your love. Wash over us in your love.